You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. In today's show, you are going to be hearing from Brian Lenny of JuniorStockReview.com. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. And Brian, welcome back onto the show. And let's start off by getting your thoughts on uh, Finland as a mining jurisdiction. This is something that you've covered in your letter and invested in a company in Finland. Bring to our attention some of the pros and cons of investing in Finland, please. Thanks for having me, Bill. Um, yeah, Finland is is uh, tier one jurisdiction in my view, and uh, you know that's kind of supported. It's always come ranked amongst the top in the Fraser Institute rankings over the last few years, and I think there's a few reasons why. Um, it's got great infrastructure, you know, roads, access to power. Uh, the particular company that I'm invested in year round, I guess, because of the Gulf Stream, but not only because of that, uh, but there's road access that they can drive from the airport right up to their project and, you know, start their work. Um, whereas even in Canada, you know, some of these places that are, you know, heli in and um, it's, it's almost inaccessible in a lot of ways or it's inaccessible at certain parts of the year. Um, further, Finland's got the geological potential that you look for. And I think the, the biggest reason why is because since uh, nine, uh, up until 1995, it was all controlled by the government. The, the government had a mining company and they were focused on base metal and um, bulk mineral exploration, you know, to drive their economy. And that control up to 1995 really kept all the other mining companies out of the, the country. And therefore, you know, the, the mining development um, just, you know, never really happened. And then so subsequently over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, we've seen that start to unravel. Um, junior mining companies have been able to go in, stake land and begin their exploration programs. Um, one of, you know, Canada's largest gold miners, Agnico Eagle, has uh, Europe's largest gold mine um, in the, I guess, north central part of Finland. Um, so, you know, there's Canadian company operating in there and they're, they're, they're doing well. Um, and what the opportunity I think is particularly in gold, like I said, all the exploration leading up to, you know, the last 20 years has been focused on base and bulk minerals. Um, gold wasn't a constant concentration as it really didn't add to their economy or how they viewed, um, their economy. So there is a tremendous, um, opportunity. Um, and I'm particularly interested in the central Lapland uh, greenstone belt. Um, for those that don't know, you don't know, uh, the central Lapland greenstone belt is the same sort of rocks that are in the Abitibi. Um, and there's greenstone belts around the, the world. But these greenstone belts have these high potential, um, you know, shear zone deposits um, uh, for high grade gold. And the, the Lapland belt has been, you know, minimally uh, explored. And for me, you know, if you can get a company that has a large portion of this belt, um, you're putting yourself in a really good position if you have patience um, for them to make a major discovery. Because as we've seen, you know, the Quebec's Abitibi Greenstone Belt is one of the most prolific um, exploration areas in the world. And I think over time, you know, Finland has all the potential um, to be, you know, the next Abitibi Greenstone Belt uh, in the future. Would the biggest potential risk you see of investing there be government taxation issues like this? Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, I know uh, one company in particular, Altius Minerals had a large, um, they staked a bunch of ground just north of the, the, the greenstone belt that I was talking about. And they ended up dropping it just because of the cost of carrying it. 
Um, so it wasn't going to be necessarily a focus from what I heard from the company. Um, so the cost of carry was so large that they decided to get rid of it. Um, and that probably comes with, you know, considering that that mining is is become more of a focus for the government to generate profits. Um, this is probably one of the the negatives. But you know, you know, with these tier one jurisdictions, I think most of the time, you know, everything is in place. You know, they got they got the legal system, they've got somewhat of a history, and really, probably what you're most and, and usually with a junior mining company, the, your biggest risk is still on management's execution. Um, and to me, that's 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 where the focus has to be when you're in these tier one jurisdictions. Brian, uh, something you've written about in your newsletter over the past month has been uh, the issue of net zero emissions and um, how this affects our investments. Could you talk through a little bit, what are some of the key issues and trends that are going on right now with net zero emissions and specifically what should investors know about potential opportunities or threats to their investments as a result? Yeah, the, the net zero carbon emissions goal for 2050 is is one of these major, major paradigm shifts, you know, and this the shift is coming um, during a fourth turning. So there's it's, it's a major change or major generational change that we're seeing. And explain fourth turning for those that don't know that aren't familiar with that. <laughs> sure. OK, so. Um, uh, there was a book called The Fourth Turning that was that was written, and it looks at the generations uh, of you know, people throughout history and how the events that happen shape um, each generation as they grow up. So if you grew up during World War II, how that affected how you were as an adult and obviously how you you brought up your kids. And then, of course, that influences how your kids grow up. And you can basically break it down um, into kind of 20-year segments. And you have a first turning, which is 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 basically like a your 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 winter um and then your your second turning is a spring where everything is you know budding and growing um your summer was basically where you reach your peak and that fourth fourth turning and actually i i've kind of reversed it the, <laughs> you're starting off with spring um you end in, in your winter and that's when you you crested that peak and you're you're falling to the bottom and there's upheaval and discontent yeah. in society yeah, there's major upheaval, major change as a new generation takes control of politics, is the major driver of the economies. Um, and of course, each country is going to be different, right? There's all different influences, different economic um, uh, statures and you know different cultures. So it's going to be a little bit different with each country, but more or less, you're seeing these major generational changes. And this big push um, to the green economy or this net zero is one of these major changes. One of the things I was trying to do with my research was trying to understand, um, I like to look at data and, and break it down. So I'm concentrating on the, on the real big impactors to whatever that goal is. So net zero carbon emissions, the biggest factor um, in this is, you know, it, it comes down to um, electricity and heat generation around the world and how, you know, the carbon emissions that are, are emitted because of that. And next is transportation, which, you know, your vehicles. And then third is industry. So this, this can be any type of manufacturing or any other industry that emits carbon. So for me, if you, if you break it down, those three uh, sources make up 80-something percent of the total carbon emissions worldwide. Um, and in particular, those top two, transportation and uh, heat, uh, and energy, heat and the electricity generation make up, you know, the very top. And so if you, if you break that down, what most of the narrative is focusing on these days is EVs and taking care of that transportation um, part of the, uh, the carbon 
emissions. The the EV movement has spurred, you know, a, a major drive towards batteries and all the battery metals. And subsequently, when, when Biden won the uh, U.S. election last fall, you can see if you look at any mostly uranium company, copper, nickel, um, any of these battery metals, cobalt, you know, they all jumped. And it was all on the back of this idea that in particular in the U.S. that we're going to spur this new green economy. And it's going to be driven by EVs. Um, one side note, and again, this is based off data, but the, the, the thing that it comes to my mind, if you look through it, um, you can change everybody over to EVs, but until you change the power source, uh, meaning if you get away from the fossil fuels, natural gas, coal, and oil, um, you're never going to eliminate the carbon emissions. But that's not where the narrative is, and that's not where we're driving towards. It's, it's towards this... Um, this EV revolution. This the side note to this uh, also leads to carbon capture, which I think is pretty interesting. And honestly, I don't know fully what the actual capability is worldwide to carbon capture. So you don't necessarily have to eliminate all the carbon worldwide. You can reduce it, and then you want to offset whatever you put into the atmosphere with um, some some sort of carbon capture or carbon sequestering. One particular company that we both know, uh, FPX Nickel, their Baptiste project is pretty interesting. There's, it's, uh, the mineralization is high in a mineral called brucite. And uh, right now, the University of British Columbia and Trent University, both Canadian universities, are doing research on the carbon capture capability of this mineral. And uh, what that means to FBX is if they can um, show that their tailings, which is high in brucite, is able to, to capture carbon, that it'll neutralize the carbon footprint of their mine. And why that's particularly important is what has happened is the battery market has gotten so big and the EV push is so large that you have the, the top uh, markets in the world. So this is China, the EU, and the US. Um, but the EU in particular has started to put in uh, legislation um, into the carbon footprints of their batteries, meaning that right now it's a, it's a building. Um, the, the stipulations get higher and higher as we lead up to 2030. And you need to prove out or show that your carbon footprint of the metals that you've, you've bought to put into your batteries fit this carbon footprint moving to 2030. So companies like FPX are particularly in a good position because they'll be able to show carbon neutrality, which considering nickel is a big part of the, the, the batteries moving forward um, is a major plus. And for investors, this is something that you probably want to contemplate um, in how you invest into the junior companies, because not only is you know securing of supply to certain manufacturers important, but it's also where it's located. You're going to want to generate the least amount of carbon. So sending that you know, nickel sulfate to a smelter or from a smelter to a battery maker. This is why I think Elon is you know putting his gigafactories in places that make sense geographically. Um, so it's a major move that that we're seeing now, and I think it's one that's you know going to be for the, for the next 20 years, it's going to be a major theme. 
Goldterra Resource Corp. is a gold exploration company that has assembled a highly prospective district-scale land position on the doorstep of the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Goldterra is currently focused on expanding and delineating gold resources at the company's Yellowknife City Gold Project, with a goal of discovering over 5 million ounces. With ready access to infrastructure and multiple high-grade gold discoveries, Goldterra is on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. Goldterra trades as YGT in Toronto and YGTFF on the OTC. For more information, go to goldterracorp.com. That's goldterracorp.com. And Brian, there's a range of people listening to us and a range of thoughts regarding the whole issue of climate change, global warming. On one end of the spectrum, it's almost like people have a deeply held religious belief. And if you don't agree with them, you know, you're offending their, their deepest core of their being. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you got people that think this is all a scam. So wherever you are on the spectrum, as mining investors, would you agree that we at least need to see what companies are striving for? what the governments are expecting and what, like in the case of a major, are they rewarding from a junior like FPX or another, another that are developing a project and trying to attain this, this net zero carbon emissions? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that's a, it's, a, it's a major theme that's not going away, no matter what anybody thinks of it. Um, you're going to need to look for companies that are, you know, in one sense, doing the right thing in terms of how they conduct their business, either developing or producing their product, you know, making sure their tailings are taken care of, you know, in FPX's case, you know, that they have some way to offset their carbon emissions. You know, when you look at a company that ESG component is going to be bigger and bigger, you know, big funds, you know, BlackRock has come out and said, we're going to, you know, a major portion of our fund dollars are going to go into companies that are showing that they are concentrating on, you know, the ESG portion of, of being a business in today's world. And so, um, yeah, you, you need to be looking for that and it needs to be part of your contemplation, you know, in any... <laughs> It was already, I think, complicated enough when you look at a, if you're trying to take a junior company in a deposit and say, okay, look, can this be a mine in the future? So that's one aspect. But now the complication is, okay, is it a mine? And is there a way of, of this not only being able to produce, but produce um, at a level that's going to be acceptable into that battery market chain? Because they're, you know, going forward, you know, the, from developing from a deposit to a mine, you know, in Canada or in the tier one jurisdictions, let's say it's around 10 years. In 10 years, we're going to be at the max stipulations, at least in the EU, where your battery metals have to fit this criteria. And if they don't, you're just not going to be a part of it. And so you can take that as an investor and think strategically, okay, look, I need to map out where these deposits are. And, you know, it's not just whether the, the metallurgy and the mineral processing and the economics is going to work, but it's that end product. If whatever they produce, is it actually going to be able to be used um, in this whole supply chain? Because I think other countries are going to hop on that same boat and they're going to put stipulations on carbon footprint. And the company's either going to have to come up with a way to streamline everything um, or a way to offset, you know, the carbon that they're going to generate. 
an issue of raising money with uh, Quebec companies um, is flow through shares. And many American investors may not fully understand the significance of flow through shares, what they mean and how it's different than a different uh, uh, traditional raise in Canada. Brian, so could you kind of give us a walkthrough of some of the pros and cons of flow through shares and what you are want to be aware of when you're investing in a company that uses this as a means to raise money? Okay, so in Canada, um, we have flow through. So you have regular private placements that raise hard dollars, and hard dollars can be used for anything within a mining company. They can pay salaries. They can be. They can go towards marketing. Anything. The other side is we have flow through, and flow through was designed by the government to promote you know the exploration and development, but it expands outside of mining because uh, like regular companies can raise flow through, but specifically in mining, it's to explore and develop. So the money is is being raised from investors to go into the ground and progress things forward. Um, one of the big perks to investors is that flow through throw through money is raised at a premium um, to the market. Meaning that if the do- if the the share price is a dollar, you're most likely going to see the flow through raised at a dollar twenty or a dollar thirty. Um, in Quebec, and I've seen this across Canada now, there's also a segment um, of charitable flow through, which is given at an even higher premium uh, to market. So you're you're seeing you know that same scenario. Maybe the charitable is at a dollar forty, dollar fifty, dollar sixty. And the reason why that's important is because if you can raise at a higher higher dollar value than market. Um, then you're diluting the company that much less. Um, and, you know, that's the big deal. And I always have mixed feelings when it comes to, uh, you know, money or raising money because, you know, as an investor, you need that to progress the company forward. But on the other side, every time they raise money, your shares are worth less and less. So if a company can take advantage of charitable flow through, I think they absolutely should um, because, you know, a Cisco is a great example of this. You know, they've been able to progress the companies and dilute that much lower because they do primarily through charitable flow through. And oftentimes they raise without a warrant when they do that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that that's the other, the other plus. It's not always the case though. Like I participated in the Monarch Gold flow through uh, placement last year and it came with a uh, half warrant. Um, so it's it's not always the case, but yeah, typically that they they don't come uh, with warrants. Um, in terms of negatives, you know there is a time value on that flow through money, but usually companies, uh, you know at least the good companies have a drill program that they're trying to raise before, and that money is going to be spent within that window of of drilling wherever their project is in Canada. So I wouldn't necessarily say the time element is is a negative. Um, the whole con, like I said, with, with financings is that it's a, you know, a necessary evil in that, you know, you have to do it to progress a company, but every time a company does it, your shares are worth less and less. And dilution is a, is a big deal and companies that aren't, you know, uh, diligent in how they do it and then strategic, um, it can be a big problem and your, your profits get drained away from these placements pretty quick. When a company raises hard dollars and they offer the warrant, we always see at the end of the four month hold period that a lot of investors clip the warrant and just sell the shares. So if they're raising flow through at a premium to the share price, wouldn't you say there's less of an incentive to actually sell the shares at the end of the four month hold? No, because what you have to consider is that, you know, there's the, the reason why investors buy flow through, and I mean, I, I should have covered this, uh, the tax reason benefits. why you buy the tax yep. benefit. So, um, you know, you have to consider what it's actually worth to the, so they buy it at a premium, but considering their tax benefit is probably they can sell at 
somewhat of a loss and still come out even and de-risk. Um, so th- that's that's the other side of things with the flow through that you that you need to consider as an investor. Um, and you know the 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 good companies make sure that they've got catalysts that are coming um, around that four month trading mark, so that if there is going to be uh, some liquidity, that it's eaten up by hopefully good news. Um, but it's not always the case, and it's something we we all need to be cognizant of. So whether it's hard dollars or flow through. Uh, retail investors should be aware of that four month hold period coming off. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Always, always. And then, so let's look at it from a downside. Okay. If Quebec explorers and developers can access this money, perhaps easier, there might be less of an incentive for them to uh, move forward to meet goals. If they don't have to work as hard to raise money, or maybe they may not be as good at marketing. Would you say those are some of the downsides of how it affects a company potentially? It is, you know, I would say that's probably more, more related to the management team and those, those individual people. And this is again, why I love, or I used to love meeting the guys because you get a good sense of who that person is a person that is just looking for a gravy boat. Um, yeah, 100%. That's going to be not, you know, the ease of raising the money and the ease of not necessarily having to be responsible with it, um, can make people lazy. But I would say that it's typically the lazy ones that are, are, going to be prone to that anyways. The guys that are going out there and looking to find real things and develop, you know, projects into future minds, I think you can tell pretty soon who those people are. And uh, it doesn't mean those people are necessarily any good at marketing. (laughs) I think that some of those people are so focused on the technicals that they forget that probably the other half of this business is how you communicate it. And if you can't communicate well, then nobody knows your story. And therefore, you know, why are they going to buy your stock? So, you know, to me, it still comes down to those people and the gauge that you get on who they are and what their goals are. The guys that are focused on creating real things and, and you know, progressing, you know, those guys aren't going to be detracted. In fact, I think you're at a huge advantage being in Quebec and having access to those funds because those guys are going to maximize that. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of companies that I know are JV deals right now. Um, and of course, they've taken less of the percentage of the project, but they're the operators and their interest in drilling the project, they're being carried for free because they're getting a fee from the, the senior mining company to do the drilling. Um, they're 20% of the project, they have to pony up, but then they get it back from the Quebec government because it's going towards exploration and development. Um, it's a really, really, that carried free interest is is really advantageous to shareholders. It means they don't have to come back to market to raise any more money. Like you said, some of those guys still will, <laughs> but then that's when you have to be on the ball and that's that's your responsibility to pick that out. But a lot of the things you brought up in this discussion kind of are the reasons why you like Quebec so much as a jurisdiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 got all those things that you want. It's got, it's got a history. It's, it's stable. It's in Canada. Um, I think, you know, the access to there's Quebec funds that like Socom that, you know, invest in these junior mining companies and seemingly at, you know, very early stages in the company, they're, they're injecting money, uh, which is, which is, I think is really good. And I don't think you have to worry as much about them selling when that four month hold comes off their placement shares as you do if it's, you know, a mixture of, of funds and maybe, you know, retail investors. 
um yeah it's like there's there's more good things i think than than bad with quebec and really kind of like finland you know it's maybe a great example um i'm more concerned with how management executes uh their their plans than probably anything else when it comes to quebec because i think all the right ingredients are there infrastructure power labor access to to money um geological potential all those things are there but the company has to execute Excellent, Brian. We'll leave it at that. Well, go check out Brian's website if you haven't, juniorstockreview.com. And when Brian does his analysis of picks that he gives to his subscribers, he gives you a thorough analysis in writing why, as he articulated some of his thoughts on these topics that we've discussed today. So Brian, we'll be reaching out to you in a month to bring you back on the show, but thanks for coming on today's show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.